Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, earlier this week on our Blister podcast, we had season co-founder Austin Smith on to talk about the snowboard side of things at this young new company, Season. And then today, we've got Eric Pollard making his Gear 30 debut to talk about the ski side of Season, plus a whole lot more. Now, most of you know that it is difficult to overstate the innovation that Eric has brought to modern skiing, and in this conversation, you'll get to hear more about how he sees the world and finds himself pursuing new directions. Basically, this conversation is a little bit like pulling the curtain back on Eric's brain, which turns out is pretty cool. Now, we also mentioned this Blister podcast conversation that Eric and I had a while back, and we will include a link to that conversation in the show notes here if you happen to miss that conversation the first time around. But if you like this one, I promise you're going to like that one, and it's worth a revisit. Now, just a couple of notes for you before we get going. First of all, registration is open for the Blister Summit, and we will include a link to the show notes in this episode for that. And a lot of people are signing up and claiming their spot, so if you're interested, I wouldn't wait. Now, related note, whether you are coming out to the Blister Summit or you're coming out here in the next four or five weeks to mountain bike in the Gunnison Valley as the leaves are turning and it is now currently almost too beautiful to handle around here, or you're planning to come out here this winter at some other point to do some skiing or snowboarding or cross-country skiing or whatever, there are now additional flights into the Gunnison Crested Butte Regional Airport abbreviation GUC, and that airport is located in Gunnison, and this is the closest airport to Crested Butte. And pro tip, once you land at GUC, you can catch a shuttle up to Crested Butte or Mount Crested Butte, where Blister headquarters are located, and then thanks to the phenomenal free public bus system here, you truly don't need to rent a car for your stay. So we will include a link to the show notes of this episode that you can click to check out the most current flight schedules into Gunnison. So yeah, check that out. Then let us know if you're heading this way and then come take some laps with us or we'll grab an opera beverage or something of the sort. So again, check the show notes to this episode for that link and then we'll see you out here. And with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Eric Pollard. Here we go. Well, Eric, how are you today and where are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. I'm in Mount Hood, Oregon. Sunny day. Fresh <laughs> snow on the mountain. And you you may or may not have actually like, I don't know, broken into someone's house to record this. I, I don't know if I quite have the story right. This is actually funny because the last time we recorded a conversation, as I recall, you were in like a freezing cold barn or something, or I don't know if I got that quite right, but... A garage. Garage. Yeah. Okay. Starlink just showed up at my house. So, I may have internet for the first time. Um 
like a reliable internet. I'm basically have like dial up speed where I live. So I am uh, a little bit challenged <laughs> Okay. <laughs> in terms of where I am in this world and uh, what's available to me in terms of uh, bandwidth these days. And so sometimes we have to, you know, rely on the generosity of friends to get podcasts mm-hmm. recorded. Yeah. I'd call the buddy and say, hey, sure. Can I use your house? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I like this idea that now we're kind of establishing a precedent here. And so for every, you know, conversation going forward, I like if you're not in some weird place, it's going to be a bit disappointing. And if it's not weirder than the last time, it also might be disappointing. So just so you know. I might start just fabricating <laughs> okay. from here on out. I mean, if, I'm, if, if, if I have to one-up every time, yeah. you're, I'll try to think ahead of time. You're like, I'm in an Argentinian jail cell. That would be sick, right. actually. Exactly. And then I'm definitely going to want to talk to you on a podcast and be like, what, what's going on in your life? That, that just, just throwing that out there. Hey, speaking of the last time we talked, man, I caught you at an interesting time of life. This was almost two years ago. Uh, that actually, as, as I recall, we recorded a podcast on Thanksgiving Day, which seems strange in and of itself. So, you know, thanks for thanks for letting me be part of your Thanksgiving a couple years ago, first of all, I guess I should say. But you had just released Drawn From Here. And this was, you know, a bit of a, I don't know, hallmark a watershed i'm not sure what the right word is but this was about to well it was kind of tipping off a transition and that transition is actually going to be the subject of this conversation which is season so did i kind of get this right yeah that sounds about right that's wild that it was a couple of years ago i know flies but yeah I, i suppose that film was a lot of me trying to communicate um how my focus had like shifted from just being a skier and working to evolve maneuvers and, you know, push technique uh, forward and had kind of evolved into a lot of equipment development and uh, design in general and filmmaking and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's pretty much just like a little update on where my life is. Yeah. I suppose I had a lot more than that. (laughs) (laughs) that's one that's one version of events that's a weird way to put it yeah Yeah. well so you know the appropriate follow-up question is like i want to hear more about how the last two years have been there's been the launch of this company season take this wherever you like talk a bit about that or other elements uh of the past two years that are notable as far as you're concerned oh man two years um I can't even think of where to go with that. I mean, I suppose, yeah, I dove into this brand. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. I um, ended a very long relationship with Line Skis, who I had just an incredible time with, you know, over two decades of, of working together closely to develop and, you know, push the boundaries of some some concepts and um but i had a few other ideas of of what i wanted to do that were incompatible with line and so it was a difficult decision but i left line and um started season and um yeah kind of 
put together a, a team and we've been working with our head down ever since to really communicate some of the ideas that we built the brand on. Just the other day, in fact, literally yesterday, we published, so you and I are talking on Tuesday, September 21st. Uh, yesterday, we published a conversation with Austin Smith. And we're calling this like Blister's Rashomon Week, you know, where we're going to kind of get some various perspectives on a, a single event. And so we did not give you enough time to listen to that conversation with Austin, which is actually perfect for this next question. But I asked Austin to tell me the first time he ever met you. And I'm going to ask you that question. And we're going to see if actually you guys are in agreement on this. Oh, man. I don't know where we met. Um, you know, it was probably a long time ago. Um, we're both from Oregon. I mean, actually, he's not from Oregon, I guess, but he lives in Oregon yeah. and has for most of his life. And so we've only been like a volcano away from each other. I think we either met at like, no, it wouldn't have been the Dirksen Derby. Honestly, I can't recall where I met Austin, but I, I mean, we went on some team trips together. You know, um, for Dekine down in um, South America, and maybe we went other places together. So it may have been, um, it may have been on one of those trips that we actually got to hang out a lot together. Mm -hmm. But whether or not we crossed paths um, before then, I don't recall. I think, as I recall, I think he said he was seventeen when okay. he when he, and I made a I made a terrible joke that I will confess to you now. He's like, I think I was oh. 17. And I was like, so Pollard was like 40. <laughs> he laughed. He laughed. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm man. sorry. It's, oh, oh, I do feel old. I do feel. Yeah, go ahead. Take a snap. Take a cheap shot. No, I'm just messing. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm 38 now. I wonder how old I was when I met Austin. I have no idea. It could have been anywhere along along the old path. These are unfair questions. I mean, you you are in the thick of things right now, I know, with your own work. I'm asking you, like, what the last two years have been like. You know, <laughs> what, do you recall meeting Austin, you know, 20 years ago? And you're like, dude, I can barely remember what I did, like, this weekend. So, I, you know, I, I would be, that's how I would be, you know, uh, if, if you were asking me these questions. So, um, but anyway, this, like I said, I mean, this, this, we're supposed to do a little Rashomon here. So uh, the takeaway we can go with is you've known Austin for quite a while. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I mean even that, even that, it's like we actually didn't know each other extremely well. Okay. Um, so I think it's fair to say, but, but we weren't like super tight um, before we really aligned on these ideas at season. Um, I've gotten to know him really well over the last couple of years. And, you know, on those team trips where we may have been traveling in another country, you get to know someone, um, but I, we really built on that. I shouldn't assume that everybody listening is completely up on like what season equipment is or what were some of the kind of primary ideas behind the brand, I ought to probably give you a minute to sort of hear, you know, I guess from, I guess you're the horse in this case, from the horse's mouth. Um, how would you talk about what this brand is? Well, it is difficult to sum up the brand 
Um, it's similar to like saying, yeah, sum up the last couple of years, what have you been up to? You know, I think one of the things that we really felt strongly about was that the abundance of choice was almost paralyzing in in our space. And, you know, like a typical company has like 50 models plus to choose from. And what separates those models is really uh, minute differences. And um, I really felt like I could simplify that down and that there was power in the restraint. And so I wanted to make sure that I could kind of police myself and, and try to figure out a way to do it where the menu was really consolidated. You know, in addition to that, which Austin, Austin was in perfect grants and, and that you could each, you could unpack each one of these things like further, but that's, we, we termed that equipment simplified for season. If I were to go to kind of the next idea that we all aligned on was that this thing that we've termed equipment in common, this is just the idea of like bringing skiing and snowboarding together and making kind of gender inclusive equipment that's for both men and women and um, skiers and snowboarders, young and old, and not really kind of um, partitioning them in the traditional way. And then the third concept that we were all really um, felt kind of underpinned everything was this idea of trying to break away from the annual consumer culture and kind of turning that on its head and trying to build in some incentives and some ways um, to encourage longevity equipment. So that we could keep them out of the landfills and keep them on people's feet as long as we could. So those are like the three ideas that we all really, I mean, that's what we've distilled them down yeah. to yeah. at that point. But those those were like the three things that we really felt were, um, you know, disruptive to the industry in the right kind of way, kind of um, called into question some of, some of the practices that are rampant and that are really, really great for business, but not necessarily great for the community or the world for that matter. So it's funny. I was actually sort of randomly thinking about this the other day. I hope, I hope I can say this and and this is actually a bit of a reflection of the actual world, but I found myself thinking like, remember when there were like those wars between snowboarders and skiers and, and I mean, honestly, I feel like on the ski side of things, you were one of the sort of first people that I think of in terms of breaking down that silly freaking barrier where like we actually care what you're sliding around on. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm in a bubble and there are places where it's still like, Oh man, you snowboarder. But I I just, I'm like, is it fair to assume maybe we've moved past that absurdly stupid world? Um, I don't know. Do you have a take on that? I mean, it's a state of mind, right? I mean, you can hold on to those prejudices or you can move past them, you know? I mean, I think like certain people are holding on to them and I still hear it echoed. I just heard I just heard it recently from a skier um, who I was like, really? She's like, I just don't like snowboarders. I was like, really? <laughs> That's crazy to me, but okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not here to say you should. And I've, I've, I definitely, there's like a, massive amount of resentment from snowboarders um towards skiers but the so that stuff's there it exists we're there's, still there like the world my my it's there but yeah 
but it's like some some people are past it some people are not past it to be totally honest i think that there's so many different ways of approaching the mountain i personally don't think one is cooler than the other and i think it's just up to like it's just other people like reinforcing those concepts and then perpetuating them it's just it's silly to me you know but it is what it is and i find like i found it a ton over the years you know i would see families getting split by skiing and snowboarding like for instance dash long and his Mm -hmm. brother like skier and snowboarder both really talented ben chetler chris is a skier Peter was a snowboarder, both really good um, in their own right. My family, my wife was, was a professional snowboarder. I was a professional skier. You know, you would just see these families that were like split down the middle. And it's like, even within that, there would be like some lighthearted, like you're a skier, you're a snowboarder kind of stuff. And I think that's where it belongs. Like, I, I'm not here to like gloss over the difference. In fact, I think the beauty is the difference. Not only like, hey, you're sliding down sideways or you're sliding down straight up, but like, I do it like this, you do it like that. I mean, I think one of the things of like this idea of like inclusivity is trying to highlight the difference, not trying to um, pave like over, said, gloss over it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But just be like, yeah, like some guy pull plants like this and like, that's his way of doing it. And another person, you know, sets up in between turns like this or this guy, you know, snowboards like that. I mean, I really don't care. At the end of the day, it's it's like you're sledding, you know? You're just sledding down the hill and it's really fun and we're all there to do it, but there's there's just all these purists, right? Every genre has a purist of like what they think is the real deal. You know, it's like I, you know, you should wear your pants like this and listen to this kind of music and we do this and that shit's not cool and don't don't hang out with these guys and I don't know. Never really been down for that, especially as I get older. Yeah. (laughs) I want to ask you about another one of the kind of principles, um, at least to get things started. And I did bring this up with Austin a bit, but um, all black top sheets. I like your explanation for this. And yet I got to say, you're kind of known for your artwork and a lot of us love it. So I feel like aren't you sort of depriving us a little bit here? Like if I started a ski brand, 100% people should want my skis to be all black. That would be doing a service <laughs> to the world because nobody, nobody needs to see my, see my graphics. But you, not quite the same. This feels a little bit like, I don't, I don't know what the, I, I don't know what the best analogy would be here, but um, it's such a signature element of like, your life and career explain please well that's nice of you to say thank you i appreciate that um yeah i could try to kind of unpack that a little bit i mean yeah i guess first and foremost we did want to create graphics that were consistent from year to year to encourage people to stay on their graphics so that's that was one of the parameters that I was working under as the creative director for this company. You know, I'm taking all the photos, I'm creating the aesthetic of the brand entirely, I'm creating the brand narrative. These are all like coming directly from me. And, um, you know, it's a collective perspective that you're seeing, but ultimately a lot of these concepts get offered up by me. Um, black was one of those things. And, um, I actually landed there fairly organically. Like it was just my intuition that I liked a lot of what I was trying to say in terms of highlighting the optimal shape and um, kind of trimming it out, the influences were being drawn from a uh, a lot of equipment 
that I was liking. So, you know, I was just looking at like hammers and cameras and I was just kind of trying to think uh, of, uh, of skis, not so much as these kind of works of art, but rather as um, equipment that you use to kind of get up on the hill. And if you choose to then express yourself on the hill, that's, that's, you know, depends on your sensibilities and so forth. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it is a massive departure, and I actually thought there was going to be a lot more pushback to the absence of graphics. And I thought it was—I thought we would immediately get a lot of people asking that sort of question that you just asked. Um, we haven't heard that, and um, in fact, a lot of the people that I originally partnered with on this brand, I think, also expected, obviously, um, for me to kind of create some graphics. And I—and I just said, you know, I, I kind of got there organically. What I meant to say is. Graphics for me um, were really fun to create, but a lot of how I got to creating those graphics were was that you know when I was younger growing up, um, ski graphics were the same on each ski, right? You'd have you know you know the I think it was like Rosie S seven and you know Vocal P thirties and K two QX elevens and all these different skis that I was like you know seeing on the hill and. Um, None of those graphics spoke to me and I wanted to create something that, you know, felt different and felt culturally relevant for me. And, um, I just wasn't seeing it. And so I just started to create graphics that, that felt good for me. And then it just turned into just an outright exploration over, over two decades of just like, what would happen if I did this? And I think I did like every medium, um, I created graphics in like every medium I could. So like watercolor, pencil, you know, pen and ink, um, acrylic, oil, physical collages, photo collages, um, mixed media, like, you know, basically everything and anything. And it was fun. It was uh, just a great time to acquaint myself with each medium and kind of wade into them and and find a way to uh, learn the language of that particular, you know, art. And uh, it was fun. Uh, And I tried a lot of different things. And what once felt so different on the hill started to feel like mainstream and a lot of the ideas that I would offer up and were once kind of like radical I would just see them everywhere in the lift line I'd be like wait is that like a tree with roots or like is that like you know like seriously like the subject matter the techniques specifically the graphic layouts just start I was like I had um you know, they were once kind of held at arm's length and then they became wholeheartedly adopted. And I was at once kind of like, whoa, that's hard to see. It's a weird thing because these were like things that felt really personal. And in that sense, I was like, I felt like I kind of needed to protect those ideas. And in, in another way, I was um, kind of flattered, you know, that that I had kind of made some sort of change to to the industry, which is, I suppose, what I had set out to do. In, in, in some way. But anyway, nonetheless, those things that felt really new and fresh now felt really tired and fatigued and they were everywhere. And I didn't want them anymore. And so I didn't like looking down at those skis because it just was everywhere. And so I wanted to create something different. And so I suppose like it was all that that kind of allowed me or led me to wanting to create graphics in the way that I did for season. And, and, you know, what was really neat there was, um, or what was, what was a challenge I should, I should say was that, you know, we had to create something that was consistent. So I just make some decisions that I was like going to be living with for some time. <laughs> and so I was really looking at like, you know, my initial mood boards were really just looking at, um, 
you know, simplicity and nuance, you know, the juxtaposition of taking these all sorts of these kinds of things and really designing with the materials and the executions rather than like just a graphic printed on the ski. And so I still find, you know, Seasons products to be really, um, uh, they have the same, they, they render the same feeling for me that like uh, a nice graphic would in a traditional sense, right? So to me, they're still very much art. Um, but uh, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. So anyway, long-winded answer. No, yeah, it's a great big, answer. Big no, it's a great answer. And I think it was actually a perfect answer with the kind of perfect punchline of an ending, I think, because you now just put more of the story to the black, right? And I think hearing you talk about um it's so funny i'm i'm just while you were talking i just was thinking about the conversation i just had with bodie miller and while bodie was getting into the niceties and going deep into the weeds of how he's viewing how this ski boot is allowing him to edge in a certain way and i'm just sitting there thinking like god the creative process and the creative approach of what he is talking about here it's like, well, now a couple of days later, I'm talking to you about, we're talking about graphics, but like the creative approach and this wonderful account you've just given of, that's not what I wanted to see. That's not what I wanted to be on some years ago. And it's like, I'm sorry, but I'm just taking a moment here. And like these last two gear 30 conversations, like it's always exciting to I think explore creativity in any walk of life or any element, whether we're talking to a novelist or we're talking about graphics or we're talking about freaking edging a ski and how certain sure. gear allows you to do that. Like I dig that. And um, I think people will really appreciate your answer to like, this is the new thing. This is what feels fresh to me now. This for this point in time, the other stuff feels kind of tired. And one of the fun things about getting to follow somebody like you or somebody like a Bodhi is this is just this point in time. And we'll have to kind of stay tuned to see. And we we end up having to trust you, right? Like, well, we'll just see where Eric goes with all this and what feels right, at, you know, three years from now. And I think that's a pretty fun process. And I'm pretty confident that I'm not the only one who's like, we'll just we'll just stay tuned for the ride to see how this all plays out. <laughs> yeah, I like that. No, you're right. There are so many like people who are passionate about what they're doing, right? Whether it's Bodhi or like you said, somebody who's kind of articulating a point in another way. It's it comes through. Um, and there are it there there's similarities and differences, and that's what makes it so cool. I yeah. Mean, I uh I agree. I just, I think for, like you, you said one thing there that really I've been thinking a lot about, which is like, I don't know, there's, there's a difference in what I'm doing now and it's not deliberate. It's just what feels right. And I've always done that. I've always kind of just followed my nose and, you know, as a skier, that's really easy to see the arc of, of where that goes. It's like from ski racing to park and pipe and rails to the backcountry and booters to larger peaks to back to resorts mm -hmm. and kind of yep. getting excited about skiing and bounds. And it's easy to kind of like look at that sort of thing. But what I always tried to steer clear of is someone, you know, defining you as one thing and then asking you to play the hits over and over. And, you know, ending up as that band who is unable to pursue their curiosities and is instead kind of relegated to repeat the past over and over and, and kind of resent their current situation. And I've always tried to just, 
<laughs> never allow myself to to do that, you know, hmm. or be defined in that way. Yeah. So I guess graphics is one way. But yeah. I'm going to back us up for a minute, and I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about what it's been like to kind of create this new brand and be innovating and launching, I mean, basically like everything, right? You've already talked about a number of different elements of what it means to start a company. How different or similar has that felt to developing new stuff under the umbrella of an existing brand? Because you have always, it's not like this is your like, oh, Eric used to just be given a bunch of stuff. And now all these years later, it's his turn. It's like, that's never been true of you. So I guess I, I would be curious how that's felt so far. Um, developing and innovating under the umbrella of a brand versus making it all up from scratch now as you're doing. I would liken it to, instead of having a part in a movie, like let's say I had a part in Matchstick, I have an entire Nimbus production company that's able to really zero in on something and um and offer that idea up in a more comprehensive way you know and um i think what happens there is that instead of this kind of like designed by committee diluted thing that is ultimately bloodless you come up where you're trying to check every box like we need a pipe skier we need a big mountain skier we need a racer we need you know an instagram uh person in this particular space and this and that um by the way how old did i sound when i said that and <laughs> um, and like instead of that but like you know what i'm saying like there's just like this thing where every company tries to check every single box i i guess it's like it gets to this point where you're like you're trying to stand for everything and in the end you stand for nothing <laughs> you know what i mean and so i really wanted this to uh be as humanized as possible to really feel like it had actual people behind it and, and to becoming so, so that voice was actually coming through. So in that sense, I feel like getting back to, you know, Nimbus versus a part in a movie, we're able to like really edit it down and create something that is um, more pointed and doesn't even try to check every box. Um, but in terms of what it's been like for me and my role personally, that's been so fun because I'm naturally a pretty curious guy. And there were things that I wanted to do. Like I wanted to spend a season photographing and just behind the lens. Like I'd spent a lot of time behind the lens, but I was like, Oh, what would that be like? So I was able to kind of learn a bit more about still photography and shooting action and some techniques that go with that and some different gear. Um, I've really always been, super into that world and have kind of stayed on the bleeding edge in terms of motion. But on the still side, I hadn't. Um, so I took a deep dive there, which was really fun and was able to kind of capture up all the imagery for the brand. And what's unique about that is I've always been the kind of guy who has a vision and I've collaborated with a lot of people to help execute that vision. So when it comes to like photographers or cinematographers, you know, I might be like directing them, which could be a little weird. Um, and, and, you know, people can resent that. And so I actually felt it to be so much more simple to just pick up the camera and do it. And what was, what allowed me to do that was that instead of this being about, um, myself as a skier, 
you know, and, and being like, oh, we're going to build their brand around Austin and myself. That's actually not what we wanted to do. We, you know, what we're, what we're trying to do is actually uh, point, train the lens outwards on our community. And that's what you see in all of Seasons um, Communications is people within our immediate community that we chose to highlight and give voice to people who um, want to move our culture forward and that are representative of, of different um, approaches to, to the mountain. Skiers and snowboarders, young and old. And um, we've created a lot to that end. And so it's been, for me, it's been really, really fun to not be the person who's always being photographed and instead photograph them and just get like, it also gave me a chance to um, photograph a lot of my friends who I grew up um, skiing and snowboarding with who, you know, come from all walks of life and um, have made uh, careers in, in different ways off of the mountain and um but that's still where they go that's where we all meet is on the mountain you know and that's the thing that really kind of it's the glue it's the adhesive it's like what brings us all together and so that's really what um our focus was at season was this idea of community and and, and kind of flying in the face of this like okay what's your team like that was my favorite thing that people would always ask us oh who's going to be on your team i was like we don't even have a team <laughs> like this isn't about like progressing professional um, writing like that is escalating. And I think to some degree has stopped turning heads. You know, the Renaissance of skiing and snowboarding has come and gone to a degree. I mean, it continues. And I, I personally am a student of the game. I love watching it both in skiing and snowboarding. I just think, um, it's incredible, but in terms of like really, offering up ideas that are changing things. I don't think that's happening in the same way. It's mostly iterating and building on previous generations work as we all do. It definitely feels to me like quote unquote teams, right? Brand teams that mattered more previously. It feels like, and, and so I guess I'm curious, is that because of what you're saying? It's like, my God, the level, the bar has been raised so high and props to everybody who has been part of that bar raising. I mean, it's insane what people are doing. It's insane and beautiful. But whether that's the reason why, because the bar is now so sky high, we can't even barely even see it anymore. Or... If it comes back to how frequently we can see this stuff, right? Pick up your phone, start scrolling, and you it's like your mind could be blown every single second, you know, multiple times a minute in terms of what we can just swipe through. And so on the one hand, the bar has been placed so high, and on the other hand, it's so readily available. And I don't know which of those two things has more to do if we grant what you're saying about it doesn't feel quite right to you to be like, this is the season team. You know, it's these six individuals and then there's kind of everybody else that's not on the team. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts or theories about that? I mean, I guess you already presented one that we're, we're getting more iterative now than completely seeing a new vision for the game. I mean, you bring up some good points. I suppose I didn't even really mean to delve into this, although I'll follow you down here. Yeah. Um, which is like, yeah, is, is it, you know, is the, the market's oversaturated in so many ways. Right. And so like 
that's not only there's so many brands vying for you know some piece of the pie there's so many films right doing there's just there's just so much of everything really and once upon a time there's just weren't that many people and it was something kind of special because it was these small groups in that sense and so i'm not i'm not reminiscing about the past or, mm-hmm. doesn't sound like you are recognizing but i'm just recognizing that like things have like grown to such a degree that like when you take away the scaffolding you're just looking at the structure that is just beyond anything we've ever seen. Whether that's just one company and the amount of products they make, or whether that's the amount of ski films that comes out every single year, it's 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 a huge amount. I mean, the democratization of uh, ski films, I'm all about. Mm-hmm. I'm so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, with Tom Wallace when he first started releasing some of his um, stuff, and ultimately. You know, before before level one, it was just amazing to see. It was like right at the beginning of when you could just self-publish something and turn a lot of heads and uh, and and kind of offering up an idea that is uh, different in that sense. It's just I guess there's just a lot of people vying for the same space, and in that sense, it's kind of overwhelming and and almost like difficult to pay attention to you're just like i don't even know i guess uh there's just a ton going on here and i don't think that means you know i i would i don't know if i would walk it back saying like skiing isn't um i certainly wouldn't say it's like not evolving i think like where it's going is incredible i just think that it's like a vast subject that we could spend you know hours talking about and um that you know and if you if you really look at like is it because of the immediacy is it like so like if you were to try to say let's say for instance real time publishing a clip that is just like a that's just one way of doing things now versus like working a season or multiple seasons to compile a number of clips editing through them to really distill the idea down and create a concept and articulate an idea through through this film is one better than the other i don't think so personally like is a sketch that you sketch in 15 minutes you know lesser than a painting that takes you two months no one is just really really detailed but they can both offer up the exact same idea which is it's just different ways different modes different time and you may do one and then want to do the other i don't know so seems like that is how it often goes i should ask you some more specific questions about these um skis of yours um this is called gear 30 after all so uh, that's right let's get into it we should we should probably (laughs) get into it a bit you've already said that a huge aspect of the brand was hey let's simplify things a bit and so I'm just going to let you take it from there. Talk a bit about season ski lineup. All right. <laughs> no, no, I love, I love it. It's funny because I like more. You know, it's hard. It's still a vast subject. Still, even though we have very um, consolidated offering of of products, I think what we tried to do in terms of some of our design philosophy was was to create a menu of dishes that have different ingredients that all come together that really um, excel in specific 
conditions, right? That transcend categories. And so in that way, we were able to kind of zero in on um, the, you know, design components that uh, render certain feelings. And in that sense, I think that we, we did it, you know, I mean, if you look at, if you look at what's at your disposal in terms of like design, so you're going to design a ski, you have to really think through like, okay, well, what do I, what do I want this ski to do? That's probably what you should start with, right? Seems right. And um, yeah. And so you've kind of got like a lot of characteristics from length, you know, overall width, edge, profile, flex, mounting point, inflection point. You've got, you know, how am I going to base bevel? You've got materials that you could run through. You've got, you know, a lot at your disposal, but you have to have some sort of understanding of what each one of those things is going to render by themselves. Can you like, can you, can you isolate that one thing and have a good sense of what that's going to do? Or is it really the combination of all those things and how they work in unison to create a feel? And um, so I was building on 20 plus years of, of, um, of actually tinkering with those uh, different design components and kind of using them to different degrees. Often I would try to keep as many, you know, common denominators as I could and push one of the design, you know, um, components to its breaking point and then bring it back, whether that's, you know, flex, whether that was width, whether that was camber line. And so, yeah, I think like, you know, with, with season, I felt like very strongly that I could take, you know, if a normal company was like, oh, we have 50 different options on our menu. And I knew, for instance, that the men and the women ski were the same mold, you know, and then I knew that, you know, the difference between the all mountain ski, you know, and another category ski were practically just marketing varnish, that it really wasn't a thing. And so I just decided that I would kind of do away with that and kind of try to break break those rules just because I had constrained myself. So I got away from categories and I got away from the gender exclusive concepts. And I just started to build around really condition types was how I did it. And so I was like, okay, so, you know, for a hard ski, I thought, so hard snow, mm-hmm. right? So first, I guess we could start with like, some design concepts that I was trying, that I was working with some, some philosophy there. So, so width, you know, making it like a really narrow ski, let's be like, okay, like a, what would be narrow now? Like it's like an 80 millimeter waist ski. Sure. That might be really good in certain conditions and, and really suffer in, in other conditions. And so I knew that like tailoring each one of these um, design elements was going to, I could make them more condition specific. And so I kind of just went down the line. And so we broke our skis down accordingly. So we have everybody, every ski company has their own, you know, names. We have the arrow, which is our hard snow focus, our nexus, which is kind of straddles hard and soft snow. And then we have our forma, which is soft snow. And so we kind of just went about um, tailoring each, design element specifically to excel in those conditions. So, you know, if you were to take it piece by piece, right? So I'll just use the arrow, for example, yep. right? So the arrows are hard snow ski. It's our stiffest ski. It is our most narrow ski. It has the least amount of rocker, most amount of camber, mo- uh, lowest uh, nose and tail height, um, most torsionally rigid rigid ski um the bomb on that thing's very different a couple layers of um metal in that ski that 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 help it for its condition type 
everything you just said sounds pretty standard for like a skinnier ski. The big difference, I'm not saying it's the only difference, but the mount point on that ski, sure. right? This sure. is often when, yeah. And I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time reviewing firm snow skis of a similar width and those skis have right. mount points that are like minus 12, minus 13. Right. That's not the arrow. Right. Yeah. Mount points, you know, typically a mount point corresponds to a number of other design components that are part of that ski. So you'd have to look at the ski from an aerial perspective, looking at the outline of the ski. So the general footprint of the ski, that alone is going to, you're going to have a, that when you're looking at a ski from that angle, you're going to be looking at where are the widest points, where is the side cut aligned to and where does that correspond to? So mount point is going to be, you're going to start with this idea. Now, because of the nature of side cuts, they're a lot longer underfoot. So there's a little bit of wiggle room um, within that. But yeah, our particular, in, in particular, that ski, you know, we are at 2.5, I think, back from center. Yeah. We'd have to like, yeah, so 25 mils back from center is like where we would recommend, I suppose. And then I think it probably goes back to like 45 millimeters back from center or something like that. There's a pretty big sweet spot on these, on these sorts of skis. Um, but it's a funny thing, you know, I think one thing that we all fall victim to in ski design is like these like apples to apples comparisons where we're like, okay, this is 2.5 centimeters back. And a lot of times you have to say back from what? Well, back from center. Well, can we agree on what center yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, good point. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so like there's a lot of like what is center? Center of what? Center of side cut, center of like did we did you truncate the tail a little bit? So is that like factored in at all? Is it, you know, these sorts of um this sort of splitting hairs is is definitely what I do um and and that I like to do. Um so yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's quite a bit forward from maybe a traditional mount. Um, a lot of those ideas I challenged, you know, I think that's funny that you bring up mounting point. I, I, we could keep talking about season, but I mean, I think that plays into some of the original ideas that I tried to offer up to skiing or stuff that I just wanted to try with my equipment. And you mean, we're talking um, now back in the day. I mean, we're talking years ago. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking like 20 years ago, right? Yeah. So like back, yep. back when I first started skiing, you know, we would take all the ski mount points were back. Even even like, you know, the first dark sides at line, the, the mount point was so far back. It's a very traditional mount point. And I would just completely not pay attention to it, measure out my ski and, and I would mount them where I wanted, right? So when I first got the chance to like, you know, design my own ski, that was one of the very first things I did was create a mount point that was a lot more centered and that, and, a, and with a, with a, with a side cut that corresponded to the actual mount point. Right. So yeah, no, um, if you break any of these things down, I mean, I, I didn't systematically challenge every idea in skiing, but I definitely wanted to, I was very curious what would happen because I also didn't like a lot of what I felt in my skis, you know, growing up, I was like, how do I, how do I get a different, you know, sensation out of this thing that only wants to do this one thing, you know, I want to do something else yep. with it. How do I do that? So I kind of looked at, you know, different lengths and different um, widths and different flex patterns and different flex weights and um, different camber lines and all of it. And just tried to try to challenge a lot of those um, prevailing 
concepts. I like this. I like this statement. I didn't systematically set out to challenge everything in skiing. I just eventually got there and challenged everything in skiing. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. Totally. Yeah. And then I spent a lifetime kind of offering them up in every manifestation from equipment to graphics to, you know, skiing maneuvers to films. It was just, it just, each one was it. We were kind of able to offer it up through those different ways. A lot of the time it was complimentary too. Here's a hypothetical for you. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be you coming up today? So let's say you just talked about like what I kind of wanted to do on skis, like the equipment was just not set up for that. And I think that's uh, anybody who knows would be like, yep, that all checks out. (laughs) We've seen you ski. If you were coming up today and actually now there would be, thanks to you and some others, quite a few good options like, you know, where you wouldn't be the weirdo trying to make this stuff go. A lot of it would work pretty well for you, let's assume. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what would what would that have looked like for your own trajectory? Mm. So the first question yeah, is, I have wonder. you actually ever thought that? Yes or no. Second question, well, now think about it if you haven't before. <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay. All right. I'll have a think. Okay. Um, you know, I think... Um, Right. So a lot of a lot of the concepts that I had that just just were easy, just easy ideas that I had um, in skiing of like things I wanted to do, let's say, obviously, they would have already have been done. Right. So like, if you're looking at the maneuvers, and like, I wanted to do really different turns, but my skis were so narrow that they would you would just lose your outside ski, you would end up outriggering. And you couldn't even make the sort of turn that I wanted to make in fresh snow as a kid. And that, like, I spent years and years right, trying to do that sort of stuff. You know, I wanted a bigger chassis of a ski because I like to get my feet out from under my shoulders and my hips, for that matter. I like to get my skis as far out from me as possible. It's like the kind of skiing I like to do. And in fresh snow, that was so hard to do as a kid. So if you just take that one little thing, be like, well, that equipment now exist and it's kind of been refined so at one point you know a lot of my earlier iterations you see that thing around on a cat track and it's just flapping around right because it has this excess of of ski that is allowing it to do one thing but it's breaking down in other condition types and so um what would i do now i I can't really speculate because i I'm not sure what, what what would come to me. Maybe it would be maybe I would be you know taking from let's say some other experience, drawing on another experience, and trying to like transpose that concept to skiing. Whether that's just some other experience, it could yeah. be anything from biking to running. I have no idea. It would that's, be a po- that's a great point. That's a great point, actually. If you if yeah. you came into skiing and you're like, wow, you I mean, you never would have thought oh, I guess this gear lets me do exactly what I want. It's like that famous David Foster Wallace question or joke, right? Like fish fish comes up to the other fish and it's like, how's the water, boys? And the, the other fish are like, <laughs> what's water, right? I mean, right. so if you're in it, you just would have been like, okay, skiing's fun. You know, we do these things, but you maybe would have been pulled to explore whether whether it's a mountain bike or or trail running or 
art or who knows, but I guess that's the, maybe that's the answer to the question is if, if you tend to be wired in a creative way and you weren't experiencing that kind of friction, you just would have gone and found some other curious area where there was some friction that got you thinking like, I wonder. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't say. It's like funny. It's like even as you put it that way, is that what defines it? Is it like, is it the tendency to want to do something different? Or is it, you know, or is there a default mode uh, modus operandi of like, this is how I like to do things. This is typically how I skin it. And this is, it, it's, it's consistent from surfing to snowboarding, to skiing, to art, to whatever. Is that it? Or is it something else entirely? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of this, a lot of where I was able to, a lot of where I aligned with the general zeitgeist of the last 20 years in skiing was that I think a lot of people felt like it needed to change. It certainly wasn't one person. Um, spearheading it or you know it wasn't like we weren't rallying around like one person there was so many different people offering up their vision of what it could evolve to and um like for instance let's see what julian has done at mm. black crows right and like how many companies you know working with rosignol forever working with armada for a long time and then he felt the need to kind of offer it up in this different way at black crows i think it's awesome you know i mean it's just you're just kind of reacting to the context and the circumstances that of the moment you know and um i don't think it necessarily means that he's just i don't know that it paints him as this one particular antagonist or protagonist it's just a it's just a take on it mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? i don't know where i'm going with that what a strange and interesting conversation i either apologize for it or place. or you're welcome either one <laughs> there might it. be something though for it might go kind of hand in hand, if not every time often, that creativity probably is, I'm going to use like an old uh, Herman Melville reference or something like creativity might just be good bedfellows with being countercultural, right? Like there might be a bit of that instinct of like, if that's where everybody else is going, I kind of want to go the different direction. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think I could... I think I can get on board with that. I mean, I don't, I, I feel like that's pretty, that's pretty conservative to say that in the yeah. sense that like, yeah, the idea is that you, you want to take an idea and turn it on its head to a degree. Or yeah. like at least you're curious about where it goes and, and the outcome therefore is some sort of creative take on things. Yeah. And in fact, you kind of said that at the start of this conversation, when we were talking about graphics, you're like, I don't know, it just kind of, that sort of feels tired to me now. And so whether that's the impulse of that feels tired or I want to, you know, whether somebody actually, I doubt actual counterculture people do think like, what would be countercultural for me to do right now? I don't think that's actually how it works, but there is that kind of innate impulse or instinct that's like, everybody's at that party over there. I'm going to go see what's in the other room. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that there's right. So, and what's the opposite, right? The opposite would be pandering to your audience, right? Yep. This is exactly yeah. what they want. I know yep. what they want. I can make it happen and because it's working and I'm just going to give them more of that same thing. It's just like salt, sugar, and sex. I could just skin it out like this and trim it or trim it out like this and therefore you have it. And I'm, yeah, I'm just not that interested in that. I'm not creating like, yeah, like if that were the case, I would have played the hits. Yep. With, with season, I would have been like, oh, here's more graphics. Here's more of this, you know, um, I think you gotta, I think you gotta do 
what you're, you know, drawn to do. And that's, what's going to make you happy. And that's when your best work is going to come um, out of you. You know, yeah. it's not going to be the alternate path. Maybe you may hit your mark, but I don't think it's going to be worth anything <laughs> to you or to anyone else for that matter. Yeah. Let me ask you one last question about the arrow. You seem like you're kind of wanting to downplay a little bit a minus 2.5 centimeter mount point for your firm snow ski. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you do have a race background. Uh, I am certain you know how to carve well a ski with, say, a more traditional mount point, minus 11, minus 12, what have you. I guess I want to kind of push you a little bit on like, well, see if you agree with this. I mean, right. I don't think when I jump on the arrow and then go jump on a sort of a recreational race ski, they're not going to feel the same. And I'm, and I'm not going to enter and exit turns the same way. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, or, or do you, do you want to push back on that or were you no, going for something back. Yeah, no, I think, uh, okay, so mount point is complicated. All of these things are, right? So we could, act, a more interesting conversation, I think, is actually width, but let's let's put, let's at least add to the complexity of the mount point conversation before we, before we move on. And then we can get into width. But what I mean to say is that, let's say, for instance, the arrow is a twin tip. It has a full-on tail on the back of the ski and rocker, exit rocker, 100 80 millimeters of exit rocker, right? That means 180 millimeters of the ski is off the ground behind you. Now, if you didn't have ski back there and you and then you just looked at the mount point, the mount point would obviously be back, right? You would, it would look much more directional. But the moment you put a tail on a ski, 18 centimeters of tail on a ski, you're going to, it's going to look a lot more center mounted. So the comparison of like a twin tip to a non-twin tip to so so like if a thing has a tail on it or if it if it's just completely a directional ski you almost can't compare them in the same way because we're not even agreeing on where where the mount point is respective of what would theoretically be the center of the ski you'd have to i think of skis as like what are you actually skiing on right there's there's a lot to that conversation but it's a lot easier to talk about on hard snow on soft snow, you're in a three-dimensional world, and every part of the shape is is um, touching the snow, for lack of a better way of putting it. And so you have to take it into account. And there's a lot more with like planing and dragging, and there's just a lot more that happens in there. Um, but on hard snow, for the most part, you know, you are in a much uh, on, on an easier plane to talk about, you know? Um, and so you don't, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I look at Mount point and I think, okay, let's understand that the effective edge and the base that's on the ground is actually what you're standing on. That's actually affecting the ski. Now you could put a different nose on that and a different tail on that. But the part of the ski that's actually on the ground is really what you're skiing on. And so you could, from that, derive some sort of universal concept of where the center of the ski is, where you're standing on. But that's, you know, it's it's somewhat, I wouldn't say it's subjective. It's just difficult to arrive at like some 
uh, agreed upon point, you know, because I think people measure them different ways. Like widest point to widest point, how much, where does your camber line begin? So like that part of the ski is off the ground, but is it on the ground? Is the widest point of the ski off the ground? Is it, is, are you counting that? And is that, does that play into it? It's a very, very difficult thing. Whereas on hard snow, it's a little bit more straightforward. There's typically not as much like shape from a profile perspective. So when we're looking at a ski from, you know, the side and we're looking at the camber heights and maybe the, the, the just a traditional tip, if you take entry and exit rocker out of the equation, then you're like, okay, this is pretty straightforward. The ski is here. Here's the meat and potatoes. You could then theoretically find the the center point of that ski. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a worthy conversation. It's just, it's just kind of case by case to be totally frank. And that's tough. That's what's, that's what makes it hard um, for skiers in general. I mean, I think it's the, out of all the questions I'm asked, uh, I feel the most questions about mounting. People are just um, really, really, really um, not sure where to mount. And I would just say, you know, if you're skiing, you, you know, they render, they render different things, right? So you're going to have like, oh man, I have a lot of tail um, and not that much nose or wow, I have tons of nose and not that much tail. There's trade-offs, both of those. And you kind of have to do a little bit of work to figure it out. Over the years, you know, like the marker schizo came out and some of these new demo bindings, you can really slide them around. And over those periods of time, I spent a huge amount of time messing around with my ski mounts and uh, just figuring out. I still do to this day. In fact, even on on some of the season equipment, I have my own preferences and um, I was looking for the sweet spots on those skis for my weight, for my height, you know? So in that sense, it's difficult. Yeah. Let's move on. I don't know if that's satisfactory enough or I've, if it was nonsensical, but um, yeah, let's move on. So waste width, waste width would be another one, right? Where you're like, people typically define a ski by waist width. Um, and they'd be like, oh, this is like the 118. And they don't really take into account that, you know, the nose is a different waist or a no- the nose width. So your forebody could be something totally different. So they're just like comparing them in much the same way we would say a mount point or even a side cut radii. It's really difficult. You know, it's the sum of all the parts really. And it's really difficult to say that like, you know, out of the Mediter- Mediterranean diet, it's the tomatoes that's making you live longer. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that's a contributing factor, or is it, you know, the fish and the olive oil and everything else that comes into play in that diet? And it's really how they all work together in my in my in my mind. Yeah, totally. That's why I was a little surprised earlier. You were like, I think mount. You said, I think, I think mount points kind of simple width is the tricky complex thing and i was like wow i think i think of this exactly the opposite (laughs) like i i think of the width is um you know we test a lot of skis and occasionally we will have somebody be like they will zero in or home in on the width and i and i'm like no 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 no. for what you are talking about wanting to do with that ski the ski is actually not great at that and that just often has to do I, I mean, one stiffness is a factor. Mountain point will be a factor, but but often, how much tip rocker is on that thing? How much tail rocker is on that thing? And certain certain hundred and eight millimeter wide skis will definitely outfloat 
like a 118 millimeter wide ski, just depending on the rest of the design and how the ski is set up. And so I don't so know, true. I, you know, um, and so I, I don't think we spend a lot of time answering questions about that where it's like, oh my God, everybody seems so confused about this, but having skied all this stuff, it's like, it is definitely the case that just because something is a bit wider, don't automatically assume that that is going to be the floatier ski. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think these things are all actually complex to be totally, to be honest. You know, when I say that it's the simpler of the two, what I mean to say, I suppose, is that, so I think, for instance, in width, let's say you have, let's say you have a ski and then you have to scale that ski and make longer and shorter versions of that ski, right? And okay. then you're like, some, so they're like, okay, let's lock in these dimensions. So it's going to be a 118 up here, 148 down here, 140 down here, right? But then you shrink that ski. Yeah. And guess what's happening to your side cut? It's complete. You've completely gotcha. changed it, yeah. right? So all these things from like, even that's one company and one model. And it's not even the same as like the model that they originally built, like prototype the concept out of. They can't even scale the one gotcha. concept yeah. in the same way. And so, you know, we tried to turn that on its head to a degree and, and really think through the sizing. But mostly it's just, these things are difficult. I really think it comes down to like, um, messing with all the ingredients in terms of like what's at your disposal there and trying to create the most versatile shapes. I mean, that's what we try to do at season really, which like this reduction is like we've exp we expanded and explored for so long. Yeah. And as a result, you know, things initially or, 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 or logically do just kind of grow and grow and grow. And yet I think there was almost like a film. You need to edit that down, you yep. know? Um, you know, get down to the core of what actually matters and do away with the stuff that's just taking up space and adding complexity to the choices. Um, and so like, yeah, I, I think, um, mounting point, when I say we simplified it, we simplified it in the sense that it's consistent throughout our line, how it compares to other people's line is a, is a, is a little bit of a difficult conversation, but within our own company, I think, um, we have recommended mounting points that people should be able to trust pretty, pretty, but yeah, like you said, uh, yeah, like hesitancy, somebody gets on it and they're like, this is 2.5 centimeters back from center. I get that. It is more forward. It's more choked up, right? Than a normal ski would be, or a, maybe a traditional ski. I don't want to keep you all day here, especially since like, you're going to have to give back the house you're presently That's borrowing right. I can't i can't live here right um or i guess you could you just you like you're you're like i'm squatting here now um maybe and so i mean we spent a lot of time sort of on the arrow i don't want to you know give short shrift to the other skis but there might be one interesting way to get into this is that you've already talked about how like the arrow is our firm snow ski the nexus is our mixed condition ski the forma is kind of our pow ski deep snow ski maybe we should talk about the kin then because that one maybe has the less obvious home given that we've already assigned you know the firm snow mixed conditions soft snow deep snow ski how would you right. locate the kin or how should people think about that ski in your view? Yeah, the kin is the the kin definitely doesn't play by those rules in the sense that we we kind of 
we were chasing some other curiosities. You know, Bill, one of the things that was really cool about breaking away from Line and Nitro, respectively, for Austin and I, was that we kind of had a year to just ski a bunch of different skis or ride mm-hmm. a bunch of different yeah. snowboards and get a sense of like what was out there. Which we both enjoyed a lot. Austin was awesome. He was in. He was at, literally at the Mount Bachelor Demo Center like most days, and just taking out <laughs> different boards and taking notes yeah. of what he liked and and giving us good feedback. And really, it, it really became. It really allowed us to um, look at look through look at the space through some different lenses yeah. because we'd all kind of been looking at it. Like Austin had his own. Um, pro model line at nitro that was pretty expansive i mean his was well beyond um the the five snowboards that we offer it was um so so anyway it was cool to try all those things out one of the things that i wanted to do was get back on a race ski i was like what what was what's happened in racing since i left however long ago and um so i spent some time just messing around on race skis and um was just trying to understand what it was that i was feeling and what was contributing to that to that feeling Obviously, you know, one of the first things you'll notice about a race ski is just the weight, you know, just the weight of a ski is, is very different. Um, and then some of, some of the, the kind of feelings of like edge bite and consistency and how the ski would, you know, um, enter into and finish turns was, was different than I what I was used to. I mean, it kind of challenged some of the concepts I had in terms of, let's say, flex and side cut. Um, I think mounting point was interesting to get on for that reason as well. But at the end of the day, I was kind of getting to this point where, you know, you're looking at a atomic register that's, you know, a 13 meter side cut radius, and it's doing things that a lot of other skis can't do. And I was like, what's this all about? How do I, how do I like this? This is interesting, but it's kind of a one trick pony. Yes. It just wants to do one yep. thing down the hill. So how can I take this concept and explore it a bit and marry it with, let's say, an all mountain? ski concept so let's let's take the chassis and some of the side cut and then some of the you know shape um morphology from let's say like a a park ski and marry all of those things together so we kind of worked we we came out the kin from that um exploration of like all mountain skis race skis and twin tips and um that's really um what informed that ski as we as we entered into that world, we also wanted to, we also had like some parameters in terms of cost that we had to stay under, which was interesting as well as we really wanted to hit a price point to make the ski come in at a price that was, uh, we always, we were joking, Austin and I were like, you know, this is like the thing that everybody makes this mistake, but we're like, well, you know, our 14 year old selves would never been able to get this ski or this ski. So do we make a ski for ourselves when we were back then? And Anyway, we we ended up uh, doing exactly that. We wanted to create a ski that we would have wanted to ski when we were growing up, or a snowboard for that matter that he would have been wanted to get on. Um, so yeah, that's the kin um, in a nutshell, and we achieved that through a, no- a number of different means. I suppose. What should we know about the nexus or forma, or what do you find to be particularly interesting about those two models? Yeah, want people to know. You know, I think what it's really important to see in the range that we have um, is that there's just this like gradient that's very easy to see physically. It's 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 there for anybody to see when you look at, let's say, the entry rocker. It goes from very very little to quite a bit. 
when you look at um, nose height, when you look at, you know, width, there's just this kind of general building. And um, it's in that sense, it's really easy for people to um, digest what each ski is, is going to be good for. And it just relates exactly like, you know, having a really, you know, the 118, 183 forma uh, is amazing for powder. It makes it um, a lot more, um, a lot less energy. You can do more things. You can stay on top. You can ski faster, but on hard pack, it 118 is not optimal. I mean, it's, it's, it's still great. You can build, a ski that still you can still rip a turn on, but it, it's going to be torquing on your leg a lot differently. And so you may want something that's a little bit more narrow. So I just think it's interesting to look at it in, in, the, in that way where you're just looking at the three of them and you're just comparing them. If you go to the season equipped compare page, we've done an okay job of kind of trying to look at this from um, tech drawings to photography to really articulate these points of like, yeah, this one has a longer nose and it should, you know, that nose, like a big old nose is awesome for powder. It's, but it's really going to be useless in hard snow. And so it does make it that much more specific. There's trade-offs to every one of these decisions. And you just have to be conscious of the trade-offs. Be conscious of the trade-offs. Life in a nutshell. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) We end up with, we end up with great life advice to wrap up a gear 30 episode be, yeah <laughs> be conscious of the trade-offs i think that's right you know when i think of ski design i'm looking at each one of those design ingredients and trying to say like yeah i've, I've got a good sense of what that's going to render because i've done that right yeah. like and it just happens from throwing it throwing a lot of stuff at the wall over the years and and just really paying attention to how it's affecting the performance. It also works well, like the world that I've lived in, which is very much like come up with some concepts, collaborate with some great people to bring those concepts to life, then ski it and both have someone capture me skiing it. And then me use the camera to capture them skiing it. Then I'm editing the footage, looking at the performance of the product itself It's a really interesting process that allows me to look at maybe the way someone else is skiing it when I'm shooting them and whether that's, you know, utilizing some very overcrank slow motion video to really look at torsional rigidity or excess of tip height or how a ski is exiting through powder. Um, There's just like a symbiotic nature of a lot of of that world of, of the of my particular process that I just find um, to be awesome. You know, it's like something that I've been reflecting on with season recently that I, that I kind of recognize to a degree um, over the years with line, but now very much so with season, especially spending as much time as I have behind the lens. I've really been able to look at how um, a number of different people with, with a myriad of approaches to the mountain are utilizing the equipment that we're developing, getting their feedback, but also, you know, just beta testing um, different concepts on the fly and, and making those revisions as necessary. But I, I just think it's at the end of the day, when I'm looking at ski design, I'm really kind of thinking of that overall optimal shape. And then you could define that, 
in so many different ways, but that optimal shape per the right tool for the job, you know, Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey man, it's good to catch up again. Tell me, uh, before I let you go, I mean, what, what is kind of the immediate, immediate stuff you're working on? You mentioned a season catalog. Um, this is kind of go time, I guess. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your current world looks like and then we'll, then we'll let you get back to that world. Yeah. I mean, my current world is, um, on the professional side of things, I'm juggling a few projects, mostly, um, with season, um, I've got, like you said, I'm working on a catalog. I've got website updates. We've got a few new products that we're actually releasing and one other ski that we're developing right now. So we're, yeah, which is really uh, stuff that I'm super passionate about. Love to do that sort of work. So um, on that's on the season side, you know, I'm always, Anon is releasing some, a, a new product. So I've been working with Anon recently to, you know, chat with them about helmet goggle interface, which has been really fun hmm. um, to kind of uh, chime in in that world and, and see if there's a way to, um, you know, improve, Im- improve helmet and goggle interface. And um, they have some new technology they are wielding there with wave cell helmets. That's super exciting and, and definitely some breakthrough stuff on, on that side of things on the outerwear side of things. Um, I should say with the helmet goggle, I mean, I've been like for years, I've literally been like taking a knife to my helmet and cutting away excess material so that my goggles and my helmet interface. So that's what I mean about helmet goggle interface. I mean, Anon's done a lot of great work with like lens frame interface, you know, and, and have iterated from the M1 all the way now through the M4. But uh, yeah, on the outerwear side of things, um, I'm just at the beginning of a new partnership there. I've spent a great deal of my life acquainting myself with the language of, of, of outerwear and um, apparel design. And I've been, I've been embedded with quite a few teams over the years to do that very thing. And so I'm just, uh, just kind of getting a sense of, of what FW is offering and, and what they hold to be dear to their company and, and trying to kind of design some concepts with them and um yeah you know on the uh personal side of things i have yeah. two two girls who have just joined back up to public school system here in hmm. mount hood and they are flying and loving it and riding the school bus for the first time in their lives and, um, <laughs> some semblance of normalcy seems to be returning uh so yeah there's been some that's been my life really you know, as of late. And then I'm just like personally just, uh, running out to the Oregon coast at every available minute to, uh, capitalize on false wells. So, yeah, it's not bad. That sounds like a pretty decent, pretty decent life. You're, you're currently living. It's a good existence. Hey man, it's always fun to talk and I appreciate you catching us up on all things season and how you, uh, have been thinking about things there and it's been cool hearing you talk a bit more about certain trajectories on a number of different front and uh yeah good stuff all really good stuff actually so i appreciate the time well i always appreciate you having me come on to babble i uh hopefully it was uh hopefully we got through into some stuff and actually brought it to its uh conclusion but yeah it's a pleasure always my pleasure Hmm. well 
look forward to connecting again. Till then, good luck with everything that you've got going. And uh, I hope you catch some good swells before the uh, the season wraps down and you're, and you're surfing around on snow. So, uh, all right, man, I'll let you go. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, buddy. Okay, it is time now for our What We're Celebrating This Week segment. It is exactly 8.29 p.m. on Thursday night, September 23rd. And this week I am celebrating two things. First, all the cows are finally back in my backyard up here in Mount CB. Some of you know this, but yeah, I have some pasture land in my backyard, which means that I kind of get every year to feel like I have like 150 to 200 pet cows. And they hadn't been around this summer and I've been missing them and I don't know where they've been, but they are back. And so I'm hanging with my neighbors again and all feels right in the world. Second thing, in an hour and a half, I'm getting on a call to catch up with one of my best friends, Mike Clark. And I've maybe mentioned this once or twice before on Blister, but it was actually Mike who said to me back on the 4th of July, 2010, that I ought to start a company that put out really in-depth ski and outdoor equipment reviews. Now, Mike's been busy and I've been busy, and so we haven't talked in a couple months. So I am going to pour myself tonight some 10-year-old Whistle Pig rye whiskey. I'm going to put a couple of cubes in there. Then I'm going to hop on the phone and catch up with a great friend. So yeah, tonight I raise my glass to the return of the cows and to a great friend who planted an idea in my head that literally ended up changing the entire course of my life. So cheers to cows and Mike Clark. And that then brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. And if you enjoy things like getting to hear Eric Pollard talk about how he thinks about design and innovation, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30. And we would love it if you left us that five-star rating in iTunes because we are getting awfully close to 500 ratings, which means that we then have to go make not only a Telemark video, but a snowboard video too. So let's make these things happen, and then you're going to be able to witness double carnage out of me this winter. So yeah, please drop us that rating and review in iTunes if you are enjoying these conversations, and uh, let's go shoot some videos of tellying and snowboarding and then I have to go remember what the next one is after all that. Anyway, this is the point where I should also say thanks to Eric for another great conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.